For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hello everyone, this is Scott Reichel with a brand new podcast known as Betting Bay Area on the Believe uh, Podcast Network, the Bay Area's number one sports podcast network, the only place with a show for every team in the Bay Area and more. We believe in our teams, do you believe? If you enjoy the show, please subscribe and rate the show on iTunes. We're also available on Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, Luminary, and TuneIn. If you want to reach us, you can find us at Believe.com and Believe Podcasts on Twitter. And if you want to reach out to me personally, you can find me at Reichel Radio on Twitter with any questions or any comments about the show itself. On the first installment of this show, we are going to be talking about the Oakland Raiders and the San Francisco 49ers as they each head into their Week 2 matchups in the NFL. We look to provide all of you with some important information and statistics that can help everyone get paid in the betting markets. So we're going to dive right in without wasting any time on the first matchup between the Oakland Raiders and the Kansas City Chiefs. This game will be taking place Sunday afternoon in Oakland. Kansas City originally opened up as an 8-point favorite. They're currently down to a 7-point favorite, and the total opened up at roughly 52. It is now at currently 53.5, or 53, depending on which sports uh, markets you have available, or which book you are currently using. Uh, Diving into the Raiders first, after all the offseason drama with Hard Knocks airing and Antonio Brown and that whole fiasco, which has only escalated since he ended up joining the Patriots. The Raiders actually managed to win Week 1 on Monday night against the Denver Broncos at home by a score of 24-16. Leading the way for the Oakland Raiders was Josh Jacobs, the new rookie running back from Alabama, who had 23 carries for 85 yards and two touchdowns. A lot of people didn't really realize much about him because of the fact that he kind of flew in under the radar on hard knocks. People actually reached out to him on Twitter about it and were wondering why he wasn't on any of the episodes. And Josh Jacobs actually had a great response in which he said that he was avoiding the cameras at all cost and he was trying to focus entirely on football. That is definitely the type of player that Gruden and Mayock were looking for as they were looking for someone who's completely focused on football and someone who was willing to avoid the spotlight at all costs and was willing to put in all the work necessary, which he definitely did in his week one performance with two touchdowns in his debut. He also became the first running back since LaDainian Tomlinson to record at least 100 yards from scrimmage and two touchdowns in his debut. So whenever whenever you're being put in the same sentence as LaDainian Tomlinson, that is definitely a good way to start off your professional career. However, he did, he did have some help as Derek Carr ended up going 22 of 26 for 259 yards passing and one touchdown. He was pretty much flawless. No turnovers whatsoever, clean pocket, took no sacks, and he carved up the Denver Broncos defense for all four quarters as he ended up leading them to a victory in Week 1. Also worth mentioning that Tyrell Williams, the newcomer from Los Angeles, taking Antonio Brown's place, the number one receiver on the depth chart, ended up going for 105 receiving yards and one touchdown as he ended up torching Denver's defense numerous times, and he will look to have another big day against Kansas City's suspect secondary in Week 2. Also worth mentioning that Darren Waller, the brand new tight end, uh, original uh, Hard Knocks participant on the Ravens a couple of seasons ago, 
He also had some issues which were well noted of his substance abuse issues with regard to drugs and alcohol. But he's finally over those, and he looks like he can be a serious contributor on this Raiders team, as he ended up having seven receptions for 70 yards in Week 1. However, there were some downsides to the Week 1 victory against the Broncos, as the Raiders' first-round pick, Jonathan Abram, reportedly tore a rotator cuff, and he could miss the entire regular season after recording five tackles in Week 1. People know him for on Hard Knocks. Personally, I wasn't a big fan of him on Hard Knocks, as I thought that he was kind of obnoxious, and the way that he would just throw around the idea of Derek Carr making so much money in public settings kind of rubbed me the wrong way. But I can tell you right now, this guy can play football. If you did watch him in Week 1, he was one of those guys who jumped off of the actual page, so to speak. And if you watched him, he definitely looked like he was ready to make some a serious impact on that Raiders defense, which was awful last year. Big hitting safety, he... Had five tackles, loved to, you know, get his hands all over the football and just to make tackles. Guy who loves physicality, which is something you look for in a key piece to rebuilding a suspect secondary. Unfortunately, though, he is going to be out for the majority of the season, if not all of it. He's going to be seeking a second opinion from some other doctors, but he definitely will not be able to play in this game. On the other side, though, you have some bright, you have some good news, which is that cornerback Gary Connolly, who was carted off in a stretcher after a scary hit, on Monday night, was actually a limited participant in practice, so it is actually a possibility that he will be playing in Week 2, which will be needed as the Chiefs have the ability to pretty much torch any secondary in the league due to their high-powered offense, so that's definitely a good sign. However, it is worth mentioning the Raiders are coming into this game off of a short week. They did play on Monday night, now they have to travel, uh, no, they don't have to travel, but now they have to play Kansas City on Sunday. The Raiders historically have not done well when playing on Monday night. Uh, going into another matchup on Sunday, as the Raiders are 1-4 against the spread in their last five games when playing on Sunday following a Monday night game. So whether or not there will be some fatigue will remain to be seen, but that is definitely something to look at moving forward. Now on to Kansas City. Despite the expectations of a potential down year from Patrick Mahomes, who had arguably the greatest season in the history of the NFL for a quarterback, Nothing really changed. Mahomes absolutely torched Jacksonville secondary as he ended up throwing for 378 yards and three touchdowns with no interceptions as the Chiefs won 42-26. However, it is worth mentioning that his number one weapon, Tyreek Hill, left that game early with a shoulder injury and he has already been ruled out for this game as he's expected to miss a couple of weeks rehabbing that shoulder. In his absence though, Sammy Watkins, a longtime NFL receiver who's kind of flown in under the radar with the Chiefs ever since he joined that team roughly two years ago, finally had his coming out party as he had nine receptions for a whopping 198 yards and three touchdowns. Jacksonville had no answers, took the first drive on a massive touchdown, had another massive touchdown later, and then he ended up catching one in the red zone for his third score of the game. So the passing offense pretty much did not miss any beat whatsoever with Tyreek Hill being sidelined as Kelsey was able to get over 80 yards receiving. Watkins had roughly 200 yards and three touchdowns, and Mahomes had a clean pocket pretty much the entire game as they were able to coast to 40 points and a victory. It is worth mentioning that Kansas City also developed a bit of a running back by committee as Damian Williams was expected to take the majority of the carries during the offseason. However, uh, LaShawn McCoy 
Longtime NFL running back got to reunite with his former coach in Philadelphia, Andy Reid, as he ended up coming over after being cut by the Bills, and both of them combined for 107 rushing yards on 23 carries. McCoy definitely showed signs of youth as he was able to make a lot of defenders miss, and he is expected to actually have a bigger role in this offense moving forward. It doesn't surprise me that he was able to uh, move over to Kansas City's offense so easily, as it was mostly just muscle memory as he spent multiple years with Andy Reid's playbook. So it just took some growing pains, but overall, he definitely was able to transition relatively easily. So I'd expect him to get more touches moving forward in the passing game, as Williams is more of a between the uh, is known as being more of a between the trenches type of runner, and McCoy provides some shiftiness to the outside. But this is a pass first offense, everyone knows that, and expect Mahomes to try to take advantage of Oakland's injured secondary moving forward. However, Kansas City's defense in week one looked absolutely terrible against Jacksonville. Nick Foles, the main acquisition for the Jaguars, who's supposed to be the new quarterback, ended up getting injured in the first quarter following a touchdown drive. And backup quarterback Gardner Minshew from Washington State ended up torching the Chiefs as the sixth-round rookie selection completed 22 of his 25 passes for 275 yards and two touchdowns. The Chiefs did force one interception, but the idea of letting a backup quarterback go 22 of 25 is unheard of to me. And now they have to face a quarterback who looked dialed in in Derek Carr in Week 1. I question the Chiefs' ability to stop him as this secondary, even though they acquired people like Tyron Matthew and Frank Clark from uh, Seattle, didn't really do much in terms of the pass rush as the Chiefs only recorded one sack. I question the Chiefs' defense. That's been the main issue plaguing this team for the last season or so, and it is what kept them from making it to the Super Bowl last year as the Patriots went up and down the AFC Championship game. So for me, Chiefs' defense definitely did not play well. The offense got an A in Week 1. They looked perfect. Defense, I'd give them a D. They forced a turnover, didn't really look great. They gave up 26 points to a Jaguars team that was expected to struggle offensively with a backup quarterback. It is, all, it is also worth mentioning, though, that the Chiefs are 1-4-1 against the spread in their last six games after allowing more than 150 total yards of offense in the previous game. And the Chiefs also scored 35 points in both meetings against the Raiders last year. Scored 35-1, and one, scored 40 in the other. Look for a lot of points in this game. In terms of my prediction, I will lean to the Chiefs. No offense to Raider Nation over there. They're definitely headed in the right direction. But I don't really know what to think of their Week 1 performance when you keep in mind the opponent that they faced. Denver was expected to show some signs of improvement with Vic Fangio taking over as the uh, head coach, the uh, mastermind for the Bears defense last year, which was the best defense in all football. However, the Broncos looked terrible. They looked lost offensively. I think they're going to end up roughly 5-11. and 11. So don't get me wrong, props to the Raiders for dealing with all the adversity with Antonio Brown and everything and coming out focused and ready to play. But you go from facing a probably a 5-11 and 11 team in the Broncos to facing roughly a 13-3 and 3 team or better with Kansas City and one of the favorites to win the Super Bowl. I'm not going to immediately jump onto this Raiders bandwagon and say that they should be able to handle Kansas City. I think Kansas City is a different animal. I think Kansas City is the best overall team in the AFC, with the exception of the Patriots. So I think they're going to, I think they're going to cruise to a division title, and I think that Kansas City is going to start the year somewhere in, in the realm of five or six and zero. For me, I got the score roughly thirty-five to twenty-four. Oakland, I think, could give a better run if Abram was healthy, but. The main thing you have to wonder is Oakland's secondary was so bad last year, they addressed it by drafting a safety in the first round. Now the safety's injured. I don't expect to see many, I don't expect to see different results compared to last year. 
Kansas City scored 35-plus in both games last year. I think Kansas City will score 35-plus in this game. Meanwhile, I think Oakland will score 24. Kansas City's defense did not look good. Jacksonville scored 26 points. A lot of it was, was in garbage time. But the Raiders aren't exactly built for a lot of big plays. I know Tyrell Williams is their main uh, big play threat. But this team loves to move the chains, uh, short dump-off passes to tight ends and wide receivers mostly, and they love to pound the rock with Jacobs. I think they'll try to control the time of possession by keeping Mahomes off the field. Do I think it will work somewhat, as I definitely think the Raiders should be able to score at least 20 points in this game. But at the end of the day, I don't think they'll have any answers defensively for Mahomes. The Chiefs are also 8-0 against the spread in their last eight games in September, and the Chiefs are 6-1-1 against the spread in their last eight games versus a team with a winning home record. I think the Raiders will keep it entertaining. I think the Raiders will show signs of life. But at the end of the day, I think Kansas City should cover the minus seven. And I think this game should go over the posted total. And those will be my leans on that particular game. Now, before we get into the second game, uh, if you want more information on the Raiders exclusively, Believe also has you covered. They have a Believe in Raiders podcast hosted by Brad Williamson where he will lay out the keys to the victory in the Raiders versus Chiefs matchup. So if you want more in-depth analysis on that, you can check them out. Also, quick time to mention our sponsor for the show. This show is sponsored currently by nobody. And if you are interested in advertising for this show, please contact Believe at Believe.com. Or if you want to provide me with something to say for this segment instead of sounding like an idiot, more than welcome to. We have the ad space, and if you want to reach out, we can definitely work something out. But diving into the second matchup that we are focused on here between the San Francisco 49ers and the Cincinnati Bengals, this game will be taking place on Sunday afternoon in Cincinnati as the 49ers continue to travel on the road after winning in Week 1 against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Now, Cincinnati is currently a two-point favorite. San Fran did open up as a one-point favorite, but money has poured in on Cincinnati since the lines were released. The over-under is roughly at 45.5. Ballpark, it's at 45 in some spots, 45.5 at others, so we're just going to call it 45.5 here. 49ers beat the Buccaneers in Week 1 on the road by a score of 31-17. to It was definitely an ugly game, to say the least, but the 49ers came out on top relatively comfortably. Uh, Jimmy Garoppolo, in his first game back after suffering that terrible knee injury, ended up going 18 for 27 for 166 yards with one touchdown and one interception. Matt Breida had 15 carries for 37 yards, and Raheem Mostert ended up having nine carries for 40 yards. George Kittle had eight receptions for 54 receiving yards, and no other receiver on the team had more than three receptions. And Kittle would have had a much bigger day as he ended up having two touchdown receptions. However, they were both called back due to penalties. The 49ers have to have to focus on cleaning up their style of play as they were their flags were dropping left and right against them in week one. 49ers had 11 penalties for 87 yards, which is definitely discouraging after the performances that they put together during the preseason. 49ers had some serious issues with penalties throughout the entire preseason. And week one against the Cowboys in preseason, which still, you know, remains fresh in my mind. If you don't know what I'm talking about, look it up. It is probably the most penalty yards and the most penalties I've ever seen in a game. I believe they had 20-something penalties for over 300 yards in penalties. It was absolutely absurd. If you don't know what I'm talking about, look it up. And I don't know how you'll react to it, but it's definitely something to look into. 49ers, it seems like under Coach Shanahan... They have been a little bit undisciplined as penalties have followed them throughout preseason into now. They're definitely going to have to improve on that and to play a much cleaner brand of football moving forward, especially considering the fact they are underdogs in this game on the road. 
And it is also worth mentioning that the 49ers offseason acquisition, Tevin Coleman, who was supposed to have a solid uh, contribution with the team after being reunited with his former offensive coordinator in Atlanta, who's now the head coach in Kyle Shanahan. He suffered a high ankle sprain, and he is currently out indefinitely. The general consensus is that it will be somewhere in the realm of two to six weeks, but that remains unknown, so Raheem Mostert will take over most of his workload. However, the 49ers as a whole just simply couldn't run the ball last week. They pretty much were... I don't even know how to describe it. They were just stagnant in offense pretty much entirely as Mostert was their leading rusher with 40 yards. I don't not really much to say other than the fact that they're going to have to do a better job at run blocking moving forward because of the fact that Cincinnati possesses a decent pass rush and they will look to keep Garoppolo upright, especially after some injury concerns as he is still dealing with getting back into game flow after the terrible knee injury he suffered in the beginning of the last season. It is also worth mentioning that kicker Robbie Gould had cramp issues in the middle of last week's game despite making three field goals. However, he was a full participant in Wednesday's practice, did not miss a rep, and he is officially off of the injury report, so you don't have to worry about him. They will have their kicker back. On the bright side, though, San Francisco's defense definitely balled out as it ended up recording three sacks, forced four turnovers, including two pick sixes, one by Richard Sherman and one by Akilah Witherspoon. Both of them were huge. Witherspoon's pretty much iced the game as the Buccaneers had a chance to tie the game at the end of the fourth quarter. But on the first play on a screen pass, famous Jameis' turnovers showed up once again as he ended up throwing a pick six on the first play on a busted screen and Witherspoon took it back to the crib. So in terms of the 49ers, week one, I give their offense a C. Overall, didn't really do much. Garoppolo stayed healthy, which is a good sign. But the running game looked terrible. Kittle had two touchdowns, which got called back, so I'll give him a pass. No other receiver on the team, though, had more than three receptions. So Garoppolo's got to do a better job of spreading the wealth. And the 49ers receivers have to do a better job of getting open. But overall, 49ers did enough to win. They ended up scoring, I believe it was one touchdown on offense. The defense, though, I give an A+. This defense absolutely balled out. Sherman came back from his injury from last season and was great. Had an interception touchdown. Did a great job of shutting down Mike Evans. Same point, they forced three. They forced four turnovers. Can't really ask for anything more from them. And they also, anytime you can get points off of turnovers, especially two pick sixes, is definitely something that is worth talking about. Do I think they'll have that much success in Week 2? No, because I think that the amount of success they had in Week 1 is pretty much... Uh, unable to repeat itself, but I definitely like what I've seen from the 49ers so far, and Cincinnati has shown some issues with regard to their pass blocking, so I would definitely look for San Francisco to send the hounds at uh, Dalton, and I would expect them to force a lot of quarterback pressures in that one, but transitioning over to the Cincinnati Bengals here, they all they ended up losing in week one to Seattle by a score of 21-20, however, when you factor it in, the Bengals probably should have won that game as they ended up having 197 more offensive yards than the Seahawks. They also had 10 more first downs, but they ended up losing due to a missed field goal as well as three turnovers, which was their undoing. Andy Dalton, a lot of people don't really know what to think of him, think of him as an average quarterback. No postseason wins in his career, kind of an av- just a middle-of-the-road quarterback. He went off last week as he ended up going 35 for 51 for a career-high 418 passing yards and two touchdowns with no interceptions. A lot of that could have had to do with Andy Dalton's offseason regimen. Maybe he was training differently, or maybe 
Probably it was due to the new Bengals head coach, Zach Taylor, who was the quarterback coach for the Los Angeles Rams last year, as Jared Goff ended up putting up massive numbers last season, as he ended up carrying them all the way to the Super Bowl. So I don't like to throw around the term quarterback whisperer, because you've heard it a lot. Uh, Kyle Shanahan's one of those. They've heard rumors about it. Even Mike, uh, even though Mark, even Mark Tressman, back with the Bears a couple years ago, was supposed to be the QB whisperer for Jay Culler. As you can see what I, as I'm, what I mean there, that term is thrown around a lot. It doesn't really have much merit. But based on week one, Taylor and Dalton clearly have something going. As Dalton threw for a career-high 418 passing yards in his first game that Taylor was head coach, it speaks volumes to me. I think that Dalton could be poised for a potentially big year if you are looking into him for fantasy football. But in terms of this actual game for betting, it is also worth mentioning that receiver John Ross III, who was a rookie out of Washington last year, who made waves at the Combine as he ended up setting the record for the fastest 40 time ever recorded at the Combine. But he had seven receptions for 158 yards and two touchdowns after an injury-plagued rookie season. Good to see him back on the field as he will look to continue making big plays in the passing game. It is also worth mentioning that the Bengals' defense was great as it ended up forcing four, four sacks and a turnover. So the Bengals were definitely pressuring Russell Wilson all game long as Seattle's offensive line continues to be a serious issue, and it has been ever since Russell uh, ever since Russell Wilson was quarterback for the franchise for the last couple of years. But in terms of the Bengals, though, there was some constant performance. They could not run the ball in Week 1. The Bengals had 14 carries for 34 yards as a whole. Definitely unacceptable. They're going to have to do a better job of running the ball to create some balance offensively. So the 49ers don't just send everybody at Dalton. So Dalton ends up on his back for the majority of the game. Still running back Joe Mixon is still dealing with an ankle injury. He has not practiced this week, and he is doubtful to play. If he is unable to go, Giovanni Bernard, who just signed a contract extension, actually, will take his place. However, Bernard is known for being mostly a pass-catching back and a third-down specialist, as he is more shifty, and he is not really built to carry the ball in the trenches. So I'm curious if Cincinnati's game plan and their rushing attack will change based on who is available in the backfield. Star receiver A.J. Green also started running this week, but he is still out with an ankle injury, and he did also miss week one. So he will not make an appearance, and Tyler Boyd and Tyler Eifert will look to fill the void once again in week two. Bengals also had some serious issues with regard to pass protection, as they allowed five sacks, which is tied for the second most in the league, which resulted in two lost fumbles by Andy Dalton. One of them was on the final drive, in which I personally thought Dalton's arm was going forward. But either or, they ended up calling it a fumble, so I'm going to call it a fumble. It was on the last drive. Do I think they would have won anyway? No, they had about a minute to work with to go about 90 yards. But that ended up costing the Bengals the game. 49ers had three sacks last week, and now the, the Bengals allowed five against the Seahawks in Week 1. I question the Bengals' ability to protect Dalton, especially with the lack of a running game, and I think that could potentially be a serious issue for the Bengals moving forward. In terms of my prediction for this game, though, I will be taking the underdog with the San Francisco 49ers, and I think they will win this game 23-20. to So for me, I would take the 49ers plus two, and plus 2, and I would also take the under in this game. I expect this game to be really ugly once again. Until the 49ers prove to me that they can play a clean brand of football, I am going to keep assuming that penalties will be a common trend of and a sign of things to come to see in the future. Garoppolo looked okay in Week 1. Didn't think he looked that great. The running game didn't look that great either. Mostert did look decent, though, and I do like the fact that he's going to be getting more reps with Tevin Coleman's injury. 
Breida definitely needs to improve, but at the same point, Kittle had two touchdowns called back. I expect him to absolutely torch the Bengals uh, offensively, as I don't think that anyone in the league can actually cover Kittle. I just think he's unguardable. And at that point, you also have Cincinnati, who has a similar issue with regard to their limited rushing attack. Dalton was great week one, but their offensive line was terrible, and I think the 49ers' defense should continue to force a lot of QB pressures onto Dalton. I think Dalton will turn it over a couple times. I think that San Francisco secondary should be able to intercept a couple of passes. I think this game will be ugly. I think it'll be low scoring, but I think the 49ers will limit mistakes in comparison to Cincinnati. They might settle for a couple field goals with Gould, who is as money of a kicker as there is in the NFL, and I think the 49ers should be able to squeak out of Cincinnati with a victory in this game. So a quick recap of what I think is going to happen week one. I would take the Chiefs minus seven and the over, and I would also take the 49ers plus two and the under in that game. If you want more information about the 49ers exclusively, though, Believe has you covered as well. Check out the Believe in 49ers podcast hosted by Rashawn Haylock alongside with 13-year NFL veteran Eric Davis as they go through pregame and postgame thoughts on the 49ers and what one can expect in the upcoming weeks ahead. However, if you did enjoy the show, please subscribe and rate the show on iTunes. We're still available on Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, Luminary, and TuneIn. You can find us at Believe.com or on Twitter at Believe Podcast. If you want to reach out to me personally, you can find me on Twitter at Shell Radio, though. Other than that, though, that's going to do for the first installment of the Betting Barrier podcast here with Believe. I hope all of you enjoyed, and I look forward to talking to all of you next week. So until then, good luck to all of you and your respective bets. Bye, everyone. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.